Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Comic books have long been a staple of most library collections, but those comics didn't always reflect the totality of a library's community. That's changing, though, because comic books have changed. Now more than ever, readers of all races, religions, and sexual orientations can find themselves represented in the pages of their favorite comic books. And it's not tokenism or secondary characters either. The shift is large and wide-ranging. Thor is now a woman. The Hulk is Korean-American. Miss Marvel is a Muslim-American teenage girl. Black Panther received a resurgence thanks to Ta-Nehisi Coates and Roxane Gay. And its screen adaptation, which is coming out really soon, is anticipated to be one of the year's biggest films. This diversity is a result of changes behind the scenes as well, as writers and artists push to create stories that truly reflect the world in which we live. There's still work to be done, of course, but this is a positive movement. Today, on the Dewey Decimal Podcast, we talk to two people who are helping to bring more diverse voices and representation into the comic book world and libraries. First, I talked to G. Willow Wilson, the writer of the current iteration of Miss Marvel. Wilson and I discussed the inspiration behind the character Kamala Khan, the first Muslim-American superhero at Marvel to have her own comic, and why diverse comics are essential to creating a true representation of the world. Next, American Library's associate editor Terry Dankowski speaks with Mara Thacker, a librarian at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign who curates the library's collection of South Asian comic books. They discuss the uh, comic collection there and tips librarians can use to diversify their own collections. But first, a word from a sponsor. How can you transform library data into impactful services? What feature do libraries value the most when evaluating information sources? Which were the most popular interlibrary loan titles for the last five years? What does S.R. Ranganathan, the father of modern library science, have to say about shyness? All these questions have been explored on the OCLC Next blog. So many libraries operate on behalf of a very local, specific audience, whether you're in a public library serving one town or city, or an academic library taking care of your students and faculty, you best understand your users' needs. But that can be a challenge when it comes to synthesizing trends among libraries of different types, sizes, and countries. And that's where OCLC Next comes in. Because of OCLC's global reach, staff and member leaders from many disciplines are exposed to developments and ideas that reach across the entire library community. Uh, They wrap their thoughts into quick, compact posts in order to share knowledge from the world's libraries with you. So check out oc.lc slash next to read the latest post or subscribe to a weekly email. Miss Marvel is a long-standing Marvel title, stretching back to 1977. The title character's alter ego has taken many forms in the ensuing decades, but Miss Marvel made history in 2013 when she took the form of Kamala Khan, a 16-year-old Pakistani-American from Jersey City, New Jersey, who idolizes the original Miss Marvel, Cara Danvers. Khan was eventually given her own Miss Marvel series, becoming Marvel Comics' first Muslim character to headline her own comic book. G. Willow Wilson is the writer of Miss Marvel and one of the creators of Kamala Khan. A Muslim American, Wilson was able to bring in a unique, personal perspective to the character in the comic book world. I spoke with her to discuss Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan's inspirations, and diversity in comics. 
Can you um, tell our listeners a bit about Kamala Khan for those not uh, who aren't familiar with her? Um, I guess what, what are her superpowers, and how does she fit within the Marvel universe? And I guess as the in the entire comic book landscape as a whole. So Kamala Khan is a 16-year-old Pakistani American girl uh, who is a high school sophomore in Jersey City, and she has a fairly uh, typical life in some ways. She she tries to kind of balance school and friends. Uh, and her family life at home, and then one day literally wakes up with superpowers after undergoing a sort of metamorphosis common to inhumans who are who are kind of a a subcategory of of superhumans in the Marvel universe. And so she discovers that she is now able to grow and shrink. She can make herself, uh, you know up to 10 or 15 feet tall and also shrink down to, you know, about the size of a, of a doll. And uh, she can also, she calls it embiggen <laughs> or shrink various parts of her body. So she's often seen kind of punching bad guys with these supersized, uh, very cartoony fists. Uh, and so she has to decide what she is going to do with those powers now that she has them, how to live her life as a secret polymorph and uh, eventually takes on the name Ms. Marvel after one of her great heroes, uh, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, who is another character in the Marvel Universe, and uh, decides to sort of fight crime and protect the innocent in her hometown of Jersey City. So it's it's very much a coming-of-age story. Uh, it's, it's very much uh, a kind of on-the-ground look at what it would be like to be a superhero if you were an ordinary person, not somebody who is tremendously wealthy, like your Iron Man's <laughs> or your Bruce Wayne's, yeah. uh, and not somebody who is kind of heir to an alien empire like like Superman. Uh, so much more down to earth, much more about daily life, and um, and and yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And now, how does her, you know, Kamala Khan? She's the first Muslim superhero at Marvel to have her own series. How does um, that aspect of her life play into her character and her storyline? So her faith and her family background are both big parts of the story. Her supporting cast of characters, the characters that we see around her uh, from issue to issue, uh, consist of her, her family, her mother and father, who are uh, immigrants from Pakistan, her older brother, who's kind of a much... Um, you know, stricter about his religious practice than, than sort of anybody in the family, and showing them uh, helping each other, getting into arguments, and then resolving the arguments, uh, trying to navigate life together as a Muslim family in modern America is a really big part of the book, and, and one of the big kind of interior struggles for Kamala which I think will be familiar to a lot of teenagers, uh, you know, no matter what their background, is how do I balance peer pressure from kids at school or from my friends with the expectation of my parents and who am I as an individual person within that matrix? And so these issues come up very frequently in the book. Um, you know, we're just as likely to see Kamala accidentally cloning herself so that she can both go to her brother's wedding and go out and fight crime with the Avengers as we are to see her 
you know, kind of fighting your traditional big bad guy in, in kind of a traditional superhero sense. So it's it's a really big part of the book. Um, that kind of interpersonal drama takes center stage quite frequently. And, uh, you know, everybody on Team Ms. Marvel puts in a lot of effort into that supporting cast that kind of fleshes out what Kamala's life is like outside of her superhero persona so that we really do get kind of a look at, uh, you know, what life is like for a, a teenage Muslim girl in 2018 America. Um, what was the inspiration behind Kamala Khan? How was she, how was she developed? Is she based on anyone in particular in your life or Sana Aman's life? She's kind of a, an amalgam of a lot of different things. The series first kind of was conceptualized when Sana Aminat, who is our amazing editor, was having a conversation with Steve Wacker, who at the time was her supervising editor at Marvel, about Sana's own childhood and, and some of the, the funny and touching and unexpected, uh, you know, things that she had kind of encountered navigating the world as uh, the child of immigrant parents. Um, and as, a, you know, kind of a, a Muslim young adult in a post-9-11 world. And at one point, apparently, they said, hey, you know, let's, uh, this, why don't we just write all this down? You know, why, why isn't this a series? And um, at that point, that's all it was. It was just an idea. There was no character. Uh, you know, all it was was we want to create a new American Muslim teenage superhero and put her on her own ongoing series. Um, so there were no power sets. There was no family background, no location, none of that stuff. And uh, that was the point at which I guess they must have said, <laughs> you know, like, who who working in superhero comics right now could do this? And at the time, I was the only Muslim woman working in, in superhero comics in, uh, in North America. So they gave me a call. And uh, it kind of all went from there. Sana and I spent a solid year fleshing out the character that would eventually become Kamala Khan and deciding on her power set, her background, um, you know, what her costume would be. We brought in Jamie McKelvey, who's a wonderful illustrator and designer to design her costume, uh, you know, fleshing out her, her backstory. And, uh, and, and yeah, so it, it really was a lot of work by a lot of people to kind of make this character and this story what it became. Awesome. And um, this this is all back in, you know, 2013, 2014. I think 2014 was when the uh, the, the title was released, right? What's the response been Once. to Kamala Khan um, back in, here in the U.S. and overseas? How, is, how has she been um, received? You know, I have been floored, and I'm still floored, by – the strength of the response to this character. I know that when we were starting out, Sana and I would have conversations about about kind of the arc of this series and where it was headed, and we were very conservative in our expectations. Uh, you know, I had a three-issue wrap-up just kind of sitting around that I was ready to pull out if we were suddenly canceled. Um, you know, we were thinking if we get a year out of this, that would be great. And we would kind of laugh and be like, you know, oh, it would be great to see her take on a larger role in the Marvel Universe, but it's not like she's going to be on the Avengers. And then we would crack up laughing. Um, and then, you know, the first issue came out and went into eight printings. And the first anthology landed on the New York Times graphic bestseller list. 
and it, it just exploded. And um, you know, I was I was I was really blown away. I was expecting to just sort of, you know, write a seven to ten issue series, you know, get nominated for a couple of things that we wouldn't win, have to send off a bunch of trolls, and then we all go back to doing what we were doing before. Uh, so to have it not go that way, to 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 see this character and the story be embraced by fans, to see the cosplayers, uh, you know, to, to talk to people at conventions who, who come up to my table in tears. I, these were never, never things that I expected. Um, and uh, I think it just shows that, that this was really lightning in a bottle. It was the right character and the right audience at the right time. Oh, awesome. Um, now, this this episode in particular is about diversity in, in comic books and the comic book world. And you have this great quote, and I want all of our listeners to, to go to your blog and read this post called, it's called So About That Whole Thing. And you have this great quote, it's, diversity as a form of performative guilt doesn't work. Let's scrap the word diversity entirely and replace it with authenticity and realism. This is not a new world, this is the world. And I think that's... That's perfect. Can you can you explain that a bit um, for our listeners? What do you mean by that? Um, it's not diversity; it's authenticity and realism. I think you know what I really meant when I was talking about that subject in particular was that stories work best when they are told by people who have very specific points of view and and specific things to say. Um, you know, I, I think when diversity first kind of popped up or bubbled up in, in publishing, uh, it was, it was seen kind of from a top down perspective as a potential way to kind of check boxes and, uh, you know, hopefully get more readers in and say like, oh, well, you know, we don't have this kind of character, so let's just, you know, let's just get whatever this kind of character is and, and, not really pay attention to what is the story being told, who is telling the story, and you know what's what's sort of the end game. What is what is the point of the story being told? What is what is the goal here? Um, and so I think uh, you know there's there's a lot of debate surrounding the term diversity because whenever a quote unquote diverse book fails to find an audience. Uh, you know, the, the people who feel threatened by diverse characters say, well, this is proof that it doesn't work. This is proof that it's all sort of doomed to fail. Nobody wants to read these books. There is no audience for it. When in reality, I think more often what happens is, is that either, uh, you know, the, the book was not positioned in such a way that the audience could find it or could connect to it, or it was just you know it, it was kind of a cynical form of diversity it was it was not there was not enough attention paid to what is the story being told uh you know and who is telling the story because i think when when people tell a story that has been burning a hole in their pockets that that is tremendously important to them personally because they may have not read another book like it or they may not have grown up with books that reflected their own experience that comes through, and it, I think, can connect with a reader regardless of their background. I think Juno Diaz is a perfect example of this. Um, you know, you, you don't need to speak Spanish or, you know, come from a Dominican or, you know, other Latin American background to love the brief, wondrous life of Oscar Wilde. 
uh, you don't need to understand every little bit of what's happening to appreciate the emotional impact. And I think that is because it's a book that comes from a place of love, of pain that has, has become art, uh, uh, humor that is real and, and relates to real experience. And you feel that. And for that reason, you can put yourself in the shoes of the main characters. And so I, I was really, you know, when I wrote that blog post, that's kind of what I was thinking about. Because the the books that we kind of put under this, you know, rubric of diverse books, which I think is, you know, helpful in some ways and, and, and in some cases has just sort of become a marketing thing. Uh, they work really well when they're told from that perspective, that perspective of specificity. This is not just about like, we're going to make this character who could really have been anybody and we're going to say that he's, she's Latina. <laughs> it, when instead yeah. it comes from a place of real authentic experience and could not be swapped out for any other kind of experience. It's the specificity that draws people in. And that I think is what we need to sort of underline when we're talking about diverse books. Absolutely. Um, but I don't know I if that made any sense that, at all. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> um, but you are seeing, we are seeing this shift, I think, in, the, in the, this demographic shift in the, in the comic book world. You have Thor is, is now a woman. Um, you have, uh, look at mm-hmm. uh, the, the Black Panther franchise. I mean, the uh, the pre-sales for the, for the new film are off the roof. Even if you broaden it beyond comic books, you have Doctor Who, um, Star Wars, um, embracing uh, uh, different characters, uh, um, so there, there is that shift there, which I think is, is promising and well. Where do you think Kamala Khan and, and Miss Marvel sits within that movement? Did 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 did, um, did she lead the way in a little bit of a way? Do you think? Possibly, but you know, if so, we kind of did it by accident. Um, there, there was no such movement <laughs> when you know Kamala, yeah. Kamala was coming out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we the, the word diversity was never used at any point during the development process of this character. It was, you know, we didn't want a diverse character. We wanted a Muslim character. Uh, mm-hmm. And that goes back to the specificity thing. There was a reason that she needed to exist, and it was because, you know, Sana, in her own experience, was like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was a character for kids like me? Um, yeah. And that's where that came from. You know, uh, and... So it it really was not that larger movement was not on our radar when we were developing this character, um, and so it's been interesting for me to to sort of watch this conversation grow and develop, and uh, you know for more and more voices to kind of come to the fore, uh, you know, and talk about this from their own perspectives, uh, you know, in in ways that I think are are necessary even when they're challenging. Um, so I don't, you know, it's I, I don't really know how to answer the question where does Kamala fit into all of this, um, because you know it's I think things are in such flux that it's very difficult for anybody to say now what will comics look like in five years as a result of this. Uh, you know, I would hesitate to make that prediction <laughs> yeah. because it's it's such a you know. Right now, it's such a freighted conversation. The outcome is not clear. A lot of it is going to be driven by, you know, what books sell well and what books don't, which is, you know, sort of a cynical assessment. But, uh, you know, some of this is going to be driven by the realities of the marketplace. And uh, and so for that reason are outside of our control. Uh, 
Um, so I'm, I, you know, it'll be interesting for me to see. It'll be interesting to see. But what I am glad of, regardless of where this whole movement is going, is that uh, Ms. Marvel did not get canceled after 10 issues. <laughs> that, you know, that we did have three uh, trade paperbacks on the New York Times graphic books bestseller list. Uh, you know, that we did win a Hugo. And if you had told me 10 years ago that that was possible, I would have thought you were lying. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, I, I think we could have done this exact same series and we would have gotten canned after seven issues and that would have been it. So the, the thing that I keep coming back to, the thing that I think is most crucial in this whole conversation uh, is not Ms. Marvel, is not any of the books per se, it's the audience. This is an audience-driven conversation and an audience-driven movement, and that's what I think makes it so valuable. Are you looking to start a comic book or graphic novel collection at your library? Or would you like to supplement your already strong collection with more titles? The ALA Store has you covered. Choose from graphic novels in your school library by Jesse Carp and Rush Cress, a book that introduces the history, the symbols, and conventions of graphic novels to readers. It provides annotated lists of core titles to help K-12 librarians build their collections, and it offers lesson plans that use graphic novels to impart facts and enliven discussion on everything from life skills and dating to history. Or how about the Reader's Advisory Guide to Graphic Novels, the second edition by Francisca Goldsmith, a pioneering effort that provides help and encouragement to librarians diving into this exciting format. It sketches the history of graphic novels, tracing their evolution and showing what makes them unique. You can also find books on how to host your own Comic-Con, read posters and bookmarks featuring all of your favorite superheroes, and much, much more. You can find them all at alastore.ala.org. Mara Thacker is South Asian Studies Librarian, Global Popular Culture Librarian, and an Assistant Professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. She's also a Southeast Asian comics enthusiast who's brought her love of them to her library. American Libraries Associate Editor Tara Dinkowski spoke with Mara recently about her work with the university's Southeast Asian Comics Collection and what libraries need to do if they want to expand their collections to include such comics. Uh, can you tell me about the South Asian comic collection at UIUC and what's in the collection and what the scope of the collection is? The South Asian comic collection at the University of Illinois um, really got started in 2013. At this point, most of the comic books that we have are from India, but we do also have some comics from Pakistan and Bangladesh, and we're always looking to expand. The languages included include English, Hindi, Bengali, Tamil, um, and Urdu, and a couple other vernacular languages from South Asia. But the idea is, you know, we started with almost nothing, and the idea is to build as comprehensive a collection of comics from South Asia, especially India, but um, all of South Asia, where there's a big comic market. Um, to include as many things that are historical and out of print, but also all of um, the new publications. And it's a little bit of a daunting task, honestly. Yeah, um, how, how did you get interested in this and how did you become a part in starting this? So, so how did the, the collection start, um, I guess is what I'm asking. 
Um, the collection started, it was actually a few things that happened all at once that facilitated this. First of all, our undergraduate library already had a graphic novel collection started by David Ward um, and a couple of the other librarians there. And when I started my job here back in 2012, he came to me and asked if I had any suggestions for graphic novels from South Asia. At that time, I was just the South Asian Studies librarian. Um, but he had an interest in buying them and didn't know what all was out there. At the same time, there is a group of South Asian librarians that do cooperative collection development workshops every year. And that particular year, we were declaring niche areas of specialization. So each university or each librarian that participated on behalf of their institution was going to declare an area of specialization with the idea that we would be um, contributing to the national collection by collecting deeply in one particular area, which we would sort of be known for and be a repository for. So when these two things happened, I started looking around. And as far as I knew, nobody was really collecting Indian comics. And so I saw this gap in the collection. And given that there was interest from the undergraduate library and um, a gap in the national collection, I thought maybe I could bring these things together. Uh, Mara, how many uh, titles would you say is in the South Asian comic collection right now? So we have roughly about 1,500 of them that are already cataloged, but we have more than 450 that are waiting to be cataloged. Um, those numbers were from somewhere around November. Um, that said, so a newspaper article came out in the Hindustan Times, which is a very widely circulated newspaper of India, which quoted those figures. Um, and our wonderful South Asian cataloger has gotten extremely motivated and is trying to motivate, um, is trying to catalog, I believe, six to 10 titles a day. So hopefully within the next couple of months, we'll have 2,000 South Asian comics on the shelves ready to go. Cool. Um, and we're buying more all the time. Yeah, great. So who primarily uses the collection on campus? The collection is used by kind of a variety of folks. Um, we have some students who are from different countries in South Asia who may use the collection. And in fact, we've had, um, I've had some staff members approach me about using the collection because they wanted their children to be able to have access to these materials that kind of build a connection to their native culture. Um, we also, I've had scholars, one of the most remarkable cases I had was there was a scholar from India who contacted me and wanted to see if she could come and use our collection because there weren't any libraries in India that had such a collection and she um, is a popular culture researcher. Um, so there's also been interested from comic studies and popular culture studies types folks. And then on our campus, we have some religion and mythology classes and a lot of South Asian comics deal with um, mythological themes. And so there's been some interest in looking at Asian mythology through the lens of the comic collection and graphic narratives. Yeah. So, so going back to where um, you mentioned that UIUC um, it is a school with a sizable Asian and international student population. Um, is it important that the collection lives on campus, you know, for this reason, you know, that students can see their, their cultures and backgrounds reflected in the library? I think it's important to have diverse collections, 
period. Um, I don't know statistically how many people are using the collection, but I do know that when we talk about it on social media, for example, and share it with, for example, the Indian Graduate Student Association, I think it makes people feel good and, and lets them feel welcome and seen by the library. So I like to think that it makes a difference and that, that it's important for them, but I don't want to speak on behalf of those populations either if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Do you have a favorite item in the collection? Was there anything that was particularly hard to track down that you're kind of proud uh, lives on campus? Oh, that's a good question. So one exciting moment that I had, um, we had a guest speaker come to town and she was affiliated with the publisher Zuban, which is a feminist press in India, and so I had a couple people at that event tell me about this comic, Drawing the Line, which is a, it's Drawing the Line, Indian Women Fight Back, and it's an anthology by 14 women that just share some of their daily experiences as a woman in India, and I was so happy to be able to tell them that we already had it. <laughs> I felt like it was kind of confirming a sort of street cred, but we do have some other pretty interesting items um, a friend of mine who is from Nagaland donated a comic that was one of the first comics ever produced in Nagaland, which is in northeast India, and it tends to be a sort of um, a more challenging part of the country, or that there's more uh, turmoil, I would say. Um, so we have that, and then I was really proud. Um, we have Bangladeshi comics, which. If there's few libraries that have Indian comics, there's even fewer that have comics from Bangladesh. And um, Mehdi Haq, who is the uh, founder or director of Dhaka Comics, donated their um, complete catalog of comics to our library. They're in Bengali, so I don't know how many people have, um, or they're in Bangla, so I don't know how many people have been using them, but it was just such an honor and so kind of them to donate those. So those are some of my highlights and favorite pieces of the collection. That's great. Um, so Mara, what advice would you have for any librarians um, looking to either build their graphic novel collections or diversify their comic collections or you know, kind of track these down and create relationships with vendors and publishers? Well, the first advice I would give is to make sure you're coordinating with your cataloging and technical services folks because um, when I first started buying these materials, I'd given a little bit of a heads up, but I had no idea what a behemoth of an issue it was going to be to actually process these materials. If cataloging comics is complicated, cataloging international comics is even more so. So make sure you're working with those people. Um, pretty closely so that you're not just accidentally creating a lot of work for somebody else. Um, and again, that'll probably depend on how your library is structured. Some other advice I would have, uh, social media is really helpful. So I follow a lot of comics artists and publishers on Twitter and on Facebook where possible. Um, they share a lot of information that way. I also have found it really useful. I have a Google Alert set up. Now, if if you're working with an area where there tends to be less information pushed out in English, this may be more challenging, but for me, I have a Google Alert set up so that anytime there's a news article about 
comics in South Asia, um, I get an email about it, and so it helps me stay current with what's going on in the field. Um, and if you are lucky enough to have funding, either, I guess, from your own pocket if you have personal interest, but ideally from your institution, Comic-Cons are popping up all over the world. Head to a Comic-Con event in a country that you're interested in adding more materials from. Um, that's a great way to get to meet people. Then that kind of makes some of that social media interaction um, a little bit more personal and meaningful. And it's just a really great way to kind of get a feel for what's going on, not with just with the industry, but with the fans and with the culture. There are also some really great, um, there's a Facebook group called We Need Diverse Comics, um, and they share a lot of really great information about things that are going on with comics all over the world. So I think that's probably some of my best advice. And then, of course, marketing, outreach, programming, like do twice as much of that as you think you need because some folks have this idea that if you build it, they will come where collections are concerned, and I vehemently disagree with that. <laughs> if people don't know it exists, they won't come and use it. And for some of these comic collections, um, especially from countries of the Global South or places where the comic industry doesn't have as much of a reputation, people might not know what's out there to even know how to use it. And use is honestly also only part of the picture. So, for example, with Indian comics, there's now a comic collection or a comic library in India, but it's a private library, but there aren't really any libraries that are collecting comics in India. Comics are a really important part of a country's popular cultural heritage, so having these comics somewhere for um, with the idea of preservation is really important. So even if people aren't using the collection immediately, that doesn't undermine the value of that collection. But if you want people to use it to circle back around, then you really need to market it and do a lot of outreach. That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decimal Podcast. I'd like to thank G. Willow Wilson from Marble and Mara Thacker from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign for joining us today. Tune in next month as we prep for the Oscars with an episode devoted to film preservation. In the meantime, you can find us online on Facebook and Twitter. Share story ideas. Tell us what you're digging. Tell us how we're doing. Or drop us a line at deweydecimal.ala.org. We want to hear from you. Please, talk to us. iTunes users, please rate us and review us. It helps us in the rankings and in turn helps us reach more listeners. So please, do that for us. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Associate Editor of American Libraries, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. This is an audience-driven conversation and an audience-driven movement, and that's what I think makes it so valuable. <laughs>